Welcome back to True Crime Trine, the podcast where the planets align and three friends chat about true crime, astrology, and any other weird bullshit we can fit into this podcast. We are your hosts, Hannah, Sarah, and Meredith. Welcome back again. This is episode 23. Yeah. I can't math today. Is that a prime number? Yes. Question mark. (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting a PhD. Yeah. (laughs) It's going great. Let's. Let's not. (laughs) Let's not do this. We don't need to do math on air. Let's just not. That's not our strong suit at all. Listeners, if 23 is a prime number, just go ahead and let us know. Thumbs up. Let us know. Do we have any house garbage to do? Housekeeping. Garbage. <laughs> garbage to take out. We gotta take out the garbage. I couldn't remember what I was talking about. <laughs> Housekeeping. That's the same. I just want to welcome Massachusetts. <gasps> Someone in Massachusetts has listened, so we are now at 33 states and counting. Welcome, Massachusetts. So thank oh. you, listener. Hopefully you don't hate the episodes I've done on you. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm gonna say we're kind of a Massachusetts heavy podcast, surprisingly enough. Yeah, and then I just like to give a shout out to the librarian for introducing us to her puglets, and we will get them up on Murder oh, Mittens. So oh, cute. yay! Thanks, librarian. Thank you. And that's all I have for housekeeping. Okay. All right. Then I guess I can just jump into. Uh, the episode that I have. Let's do it. We're gonna continue on the spooky train Woo-hoo. with life-size dolls. Ew. Oh no! <gasps> okay, I'm fascinated and horrified by this simultaneously, so I'm actually really excited for this. Yes, because what is more spooky than obsession and the desire to treat women like objects? Mm. Oh, they're women dolls. Okay. I uh, honestly haven't found any information about a men doll, a man doll. I mean, there's like a like life-size Ken or G.I. Joe. I don't know. Someone's got to have one of those things out there. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it seems to be more of a male thing, getting female body whatevers. Oh, okay. beyond creepy. This one's going to be a little weird. It's more like some vignettes that I have to tell. One of them isn't really, there really isn't a crime, but the... The doll that was made is horrific, and I want to put it on the website. Okay. Uh, one of them is actually, there was a crime. And the the last is just like, in the modern day, let's talk about lives. Not live. Just big, big dolls. That reminds me, too, of the Criminal Minds episode where, like, the guy was obsessed with dolls and would kidnap people and, like, paralyze them and then That's dress a them woman. Up. Yeah, it was a lady. Oh, it's a woman that did it. That's right. Because her father was a like sexually molested her and she and she um went through all this like That's electroshock right. therapy and stuff as a kid so she was a little wonky yeah mix that up with the law and order guy then that had an obsession with dolls maybe she did a really good job on making them look like dolls but yes yeah, they did was... die i will so. just put this out here real quick i'm not a fan of any size doll like 
I oh, same. at all. And when I was little, one of my aunts had sent me this porcelain doll with like dark curly hair and this like pink pretty dress. And I swear to God, that thing was evil. Oh, no. Evil. I mean, I I don't know. I don't even know what happened to it. I'd have to ask my mom. But that thing scared the shit out of me. Just, ugh. No, Ooh. thank you. I almost went down a haunted dolls, like, pathway. There's some good haunted dolls stories. There are some super good ones. But this one is, uh, this is a different kind of doll episode. Okay. Open it up with a learning corner. Yay. This is going to be a hard word for me to say, but um, algomatophilia. What? That's the name for the paraphilia when a person is sexually attracted to inanimate objects, including dolls, statues, and mannequins. Okay. Algomatophilia. It has to be I said mean, do, differently than do, that. Do like, sex toys fit in there? Because you can, like, yes. I don't know, be turned on by a sex toy, so... Oh, no, this one in particular... Is, like, non-sexual inanimate objects. No, no, no. It's not all objects. It's more objects that look human. Okay. Okay. So I think there's another one where you're like, man, I want to fuck the Eiffel Tower or something. Like, that's a different one. (laughs) (laughs) So this one is just, like, inanimate figures. Okay. So first story that I'm going to bring involves a woman named Alma Mailer. Which I love that name, Alma. It's mm-hmm. very nice. We get to go back in time again. Yay! So Alma Mailer was born on August 34th, 1879. August 34th? Nope, 31st. <laughs> <laughs> how do months work? I like just opened this beer. <laughs> I-, I swear, this is how my whole day has been going. I'm having a lot of stress, folks. I need to talk about it. Alma for a little bit. Let's hear it. So she was born in 1879 and then she basically became like a muse to artists and musicians and writers and whatnot like in the earliest 20th century. So she was playing um, that role a lot. But beyond being just a muse, Alma was also talented herself. She was an accomplished composer, although the men in her life prefer to downplay that part of her life because it gets in the way of, you know, her being a muse and whatnot. I'm going to say she's not going to be a feminist icon or anything. She's not a totally likable person. I'll put that up front. She refused to marry her first love, Alexander von Zamelski, who was a composer that she was studying with. And she refused to marry him because that would have meant that she would have to, quote, bring short, degenerate Jew children into the world, end quote. Wow. Oh, no. So Alma had some... Strong feelings. Dang, girl. Girl. This naturally put a strain on the relationship. Mm. And I'm pretty sure Alexander just let her go quite freely when she started having an affair with Gustav Mahler, who was the director of the Vienna Court Opera and a man 19 years her senior. Ooh. Wow. So Gustav and Alma married in 1902 and had what I can only imagine be an uncomfortable relationship. Gustav insisted that Alma stop composing and focus on being a wife and a mother. Oh. Yeah, so she did and bore him two daughters. But when one of their daughters died in 1910, Alma fell into a deep depression and started having an affair with a man named Walter Groupius. Okay. Gustav learned of the affair and then he went all the way to the top for advice and he met with Sigmund Freud. Oh. (laughs) 
who correctly deduced that a major marital issue in this relationship was Gustav insisting that Alma stifle her own creativity. And so to Gustav's credit, he began to take an interest in her music and he worked with her to publish a handful of her compositions as well. So he tried. He he tried. He redeemed himself. He didn't have to try for very long because he died May 18th, 1911 from a heart defect. So like, he probably had only had to try it for like nine months max. (laughs) (laughs) But the point is he, he did try though. He did try. I'm giving him a lot of props, especially... In 1910. Yeah. Then between 1912 and 1914, Alma had an extremely tumultuous affair with the artist Oscar Kokoschka, uh, which finally petered off when Alma was tired of Oscar's possessiveness. Mm. Next, Alma went back to Walter Gropius, who, side tangent, we're going down it, uh, he was an architect who would become the head of Bauhaus. Do you know what that is? Mm-mm. Sarah, felt no. like you might. It sounds familiar. It's a German art school that combined crafts and the fine arts and like they pretty much the quote is they wanted to combine aesthetics with everyday function and so they're Oh, I love it. Pretty into simplicity, which also translated very well into mass production. So a lot of their products got made and they were um, extremely influential on modern furniture design. And so I'm going to put some a link on the website to some of the chairs. Because I looked at the chair and I was like, oh, I've seen that chair before. Interesting. Nice. You know, Walter, Gustav, these are big ballers doing big things. But before Walter did the big things, they got married in 1915. Uh, but Walter was gone for most of their marriage due to that pesky World War One. Rat row. Oops. Alma gave birth to a daughter in 1916. And then, while Walter was at the front, Alma fell in love again, this time to a Jewish poet named Franz Werfel, who was 12 years her junior. Oh. So she does not care. She's got range. She's got (laughs) range. And Franz seemed to be the exact opposite of Walter, as I can best describe Walter as extremely German. Okay. Look at his furniture. (laughs) I don't know anything about his politics, to be honest, but he definitely looks like what uh, Adolf Hitler would have thought was the ideal Teutonic man. So Alma fell in love a lot, but I think she could have done with some quality control because France kind of sucked as well. <laughs> and he wrote in his diary after a weekend of, after spending a weekend with Alma, quote, We made love! I didn't go easy on her. Oh. Uh, gross. Oh, gross. No, Ew. no. That's not how you should be describing that. I do like that we made love. That was sweet. But then it was like, oh, no. Y'all uh, fucked. Uh, well, it was speculated that all this rough sex may have induced a hemorrhage. And Alma, who was pregnant at the time, had to deliver her baby early. Oh, no. Walter at first believed that this was his son, since Alma gave him Walter's last name. But he was mistaken. Martin was the love child of Alma and Franz and would die before he was a year old from hydrocephaly. Oh, that's sad. That's very sad. Yeah, she actually, Alma only had one child that survived into adulthood. So it was kind of a bummer for her. Yeah. Early 1900s, man. Yeah. Walter divorced Alma soon after. She did have a whole baby with some other man. But Alma did not immediately jump back into Franz's arms, as she blamed his race and his, quote, degenerate seed for their son's condition and death. Okay. Franz was Jewish. 
Well, yeah, we already know how she feels about that. Then why'd she even start? Okay. I don't know. So, eventually, though, Franz and Alma married in 1929, and Alma fled Germany with Franz as the Jewish persecution increased. Still seems like a strange relationship, because even after relocating to Hollywood, Alma would still rant about German superiority, but she also nursed him back to health after he had some heart problems and supported him while he wrote his bestseller, so who knows. Okay. And in a poem to Alma, Franz wrote, quote, How much I love you was not known to me before the onset of these quick goodbyes, end quote. So he definitely loved her on the basis of this poem, even though she's just a dick to his uh, race. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. And then Alma wrote in her diary about Franz, quote, Without him, I cannot go on living. He is the core of my existence, end quote. Yeah, so, yeah. I don't know. Love mm. is weird. Yeah, it is. Franz died in 1945, and while Alma continued to go on living, she never remarried. So, everyone's like, why the fuck are you telling me this story? <laughs> so, Alma had many love affairs throughout her life, but the suitor that I'm going to focus on is the one that I've said the least about so far. So, we're going to meet Oscar Kokoschka. They met at a party in 1912, and had different recollections of that meeting, which I think is funny to compare what they remember of meeting each other because it's very much like, oh, this man fell in love immediately and she was just like, there's a guy here. (laughs) (laughs) Oscar remembered seeing Alma sing and play piano and thought that she was, quote, young and strikingly beautiful. And she seemed to have, quote, fallen in love with me at first sight. Uh, (laughs) Alma's recollections are a little bit different. She remembers a man in a threadbare suit who drew her into, quote, a violet hug who had a handsome figure but was disturbingly coarse and also asked Alma to marry him by the end of the party. Oh, gross. Oh, no. drinking? I would imagine. Okay. This reminds me of, like, the Kelso interpretation of what uh, Eric's sister, God, I can't remember her name. Do you remember that Sunday show? Yeah, Lori. That's like Kelso's interpretation of what Laurie was saying the entire time. And he's like, she was totally hitting on me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she's just like talking like normal small talk. Yeah. <laughs> I know. That's why I love this. It, totally. It's the same thing just in 1912. <laughs> Alma declined to marry Oscar. Bit much. But she was intrigued by his passion. <laughs> As she wrote in her diary, quote, Never before had I savored such convulsion, such hell, such paradise, end quote. But but the hell part is the... And the convulsion. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. And the paradise. Not <laughs> worth it to me, but um, Alma, you seem to like these very um, strong highs, strong lows relationships. We need more stability. <laughs> she needs to get herself a nice Taurus and settle down. <laughs> the two became lovers. And Alma would generally foot the bill on all of their outings because Alma was able to live a very comfortable life on her deceased husband's royalties. So the guy that was the director of the opera, her first husband, she was still getting paid from stuff he did. Okay. And Oscar was just a poor artist who was starting to get noticed, but still poor. Oscar was a lot, though, in case you haven't noticed. Mm. And he would spy on Alma's apartment at night, wrote her extremely intense letters, and was so obsessed with drawing and painting Alma to the point that Alma's eight-year-old daughter asked Oscar, can't you paint anything else but mummy? (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) Ah, so much. Even the eight-year-old's like, you're a perv. 
you're like, this is you're a lot, dude. You're becoming unhinged. Choose a different subject. Dial it back. Uh, so understandably, I think we're all on the same page here. This level of attention can get old fast. Mm-hmm. And Alma began to tire of Oscar and his affections. So she decided to take a trip to Bohemia, which existed at the time, and she made Oscar a deal. If he created a masterpiece while she was away, then she would marry him. And Oscar ended up painting Thy Winsbrat, sorry Germans, translated as Tempest or Bride of the Wind, which is considered to be one of Oscar's best paintings. And even I, art idiot that I am, I can actually see the merited. I'm like, that's the, I like that. Good painting, right. Oscar. I'll okay. post an image of the painting on the website. I'll backtrack though and decide that instead of marrying Oscar, they should probably see each other less. No more than every three days. <laughs> Alma eventually became pregnant with Oscar's child, but went to Vienna and had an abortion because the other choice would have been to have to marry, if she had the baby, to marry Oscar, which would then strip her of all of her financial freedoms. Okay. She would probably lose all the royalties and stuff as well. Oscar was heartbroken, but in light of current events, I just want to say, we'll defend a woman's right to choose what to do with her own body until the day I die. So whatever, Oscar. <laughs> in her diary, Alma wrote, quote, in the sanatorium, Oscar took the first blood-stained cotton dressing off of me and brought it home. He said, this is my only child and always will, will be, end quote. And he carried that blood-stained cloth with him everywhere he went. Um, okay. Including the war, because yeah. after that, he was a bit heartbroken. So he joined the cavalry and had all sorts of adventures around Europe, where in the Ukraine, a bullet literally penetrated his brain. Oh, and oh. in Russia, he was bayoneted in the chest. <laughs> and uh, also definitely was suffering from some shell shock when he got back. Uh, during Yikes. This Didn't die, though, from all of that fun no. stuff? It was reported, though, that he had died at the front, and so Alma had married Walter, the architect, in the meantime. Oh, okay. But Oscar was not dead, and so he returned back to heartbreak and the loss of his beloved Alma. Instead of moving on, though, he decided to commission a fetish doll in Alma's likeness. Oh. Oh, no. Where do you get a fetish doll in 1919? There's no black market. <laughs> Is there? No. The answer is... There's been pervs around for centuries and sure. centuries. I'm sure some weirdo. They're uh, puppet makers. Oh. Oh. Yeah. So Oscar contacted Hermine Moose, who was a woman, who agreed to make the doll for Oscar. Oscar was an artist, so he provided Hermine with plenty of drawings. And don't worry, he had Alma's measurements mes memorized, so that's fine. Of course. Yeah. That's part of his fantasy. There's not very much known about Hermine Moose, but Oscar was not a fan of the final product. Although I do think he sent her some confusing instructions, such as this one. Quote, she must be made perfect and luxuriant and covered with hair. Otherwise, it's not to be a woman, but a monster. What? And to be fair, Doll Alma is somewhat terrifying. They'll definitely... I don't know how to not make that terrifying, and there will definitely be an image on the website. She was covered with swan feathers. Okay. What? Which led Oscar to quickly reverse his stance on she must be covered in hair, saying, quote, The outer shell is a polar bear skin that would be better suited for a fake fuzzy bear bedside rug, but never for the suppleness and smoothness of a woman's skin. I just googled the doll. Oh, yeah. yeah. Same. Fuck. <laughs> Isn't it just It's ghastly? not okay. It's horrible. I'm, I'm just telling you this whole story so that you all can look at this doll. Oh, my God. 
It's, it's horrifying. It's so much. She's like a Yeti. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be too harsh on Hermine. She did commit suicide in 1928 and... She was just trying to follow the instructions. Yeah. yeah. Her motivations were not specified, but Oscar being loudly and publicly disgusted with her creation could not have helped. But I'm going to put Oscar on the, the spot here too, because those are some weird-ass instructions. And Oscar wasn't even that disgusted with the Alma doll. He kept it around, sketching and painting its likeness, buying an expensive clothing, and even hiring a cab to drive it around town and renting an opera box for the two of them. So he did like it. Yeah, so... It's like the next best thing. I guess. <laughs> oh. Like, he spent all his money on it. He might as well. I know. Well, it didn't last, though. In 1920, Oscar decided that it was time for Alma Doll to die and threw a death day party where the doll was treated extremely disrespectfully, being jeered at, having wine poured all over it, and having its head struck off. Oh. And it couldn't have been that bad of a likeness, although it totally was. But the police showed up the next morning having heard reports about a maimed body. So, you know. A hairy, maimed body. And so this is all a rather unsettling story all around. And it's going to end weird, too, as Alma and Oscar reconnected later in life, writing sexy letters to each other. And Alma said, quote, How could we ever have been separated since we are made for each other? And Oscar said, quote, If I ever find the time, then I'll make you a life-size wooden figure of myself, and you should take me to bed with you every night. We shall get together again sometime. Live for it, my unfaithful love. Uh, <laughs> yeah, would. Hope you get some splinters for leaving me. <laughs> I know, so like, I don't know. Shrug, shrug emoji on that one. I think this guy doesn't have a firm grasp on what textures are supposed to be. No! Yeah. <laughs> So, Oscar, you're taking a lot of responsibility for how this Alma doll turned out. I don't love it just because it's a giant doll, but I especially don't love it because it's a giant doll in the likeness of a woman who's still alive. Yeah. Who didn't want to be with you, so you made a doll. That's so fucking creepy. But she didn't know about the doll. Uh, she kind of heard some, because she almost went back to Oscar after oh. uh, her and Walter divorced, <laughs> but she decided to go to Franz instead because she kind of heard a little bit of gossip about the doll and she was like meh pass but you know they reconciled later but still but still jesus so that was the first story no crime just like just creepiness creepiness and like super creepy just really dysfunctional relationships everywhere a beheading yes of a doll Mm -hmm. but the police did come yeah well Much as I don't love the previous story, I hate the next story even more, so open up your ear holes to hear the story of Carl Tanzler, (gasps) a man who did not have access to a puppet maker and took matters into his own hands. Oh no. Have you heard of Carl Tanzler? No. Okay, I just heard a big gasp from someone. Me. Oh, I gasped. Oh, do you know? Yeah, but I don't know, like, a ton about it, but... This is the reason why I picked this to begin with, but it's a little short, so I've meted it up with a couple other stories. But Love it. Carl was born in Dresden, Germany on February 8, 1877. It's a little unclear as to what Carl's early life was like, as Carl was a liar and would claim to be many things, including an accomplished inventor, a submarine captain, a medical doctor, a holder of nine university degrees, 
and even a count. Oh, the 1800s. That's magnificent. Yeah. <laughs> say fucking anything. What is certain is that Carl, his wife, and his two children moved to Florida where after World War I, which is where Carl's sister had already relocated. On his German marriage certificate, he was named as George Carl Tanzler, but when he applied for U.S. citizenship, he named himself Count Carl Tanzler von Kossel. <laughs> was Carl a count? No, most likely no. But if you get to pick your name, right? Uh, yeah, I guess there's no one's gonna ask, right? Like if you if you have your first name be Duchess and your middle name be like your normal first name, then it's like, well, yeah, who's gonna do that? Hundred <laughs> percent. I'm sure they're like, well, there are definitely boys named King. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Shortly after immigrating to the United States, Carl abandoned his family and moved to Key West, Florida, where he found a job as a radiology technician at the U.S. Marine Hospital. And I'm not even sure if he was qualified to be a radio radiology technician, but he got the job. On April 22nd, 1930, Carl's life changed forever when Maria Elena Milagro de Hoyos was brought to the hospital. Uh, Maria was a local Cuban-American woman who was known as a beauty in her community. Uh, She had been married in 1926 to Luis Mesa, but just to keep on the theme of terrible men, Luis abandoned Elena after she suffered a miscarriage. Rude. The rudest. Awful. But Luis was still listed as her husband on her death certificate, so he lingered. Okay. Well, no worries. Carl immediately fell in love with Elena. Love at first sight, as Oscar would say. Uh, As a child, Carl had had visions of a dark-haired, beautiful woman who would be his one true love, and Elena resembled this vision to a T. Unfortunately, despite the predestination, Carl had bad news for Elena, who was diagnosed with tuberculosis, which was a potential death sentence for her in 1930. Yeah. Carl immediately began trying to save Maria's life, although he wasn't necessarily qualified to do that either. Uh, But he would mix up homemade tonics and medications and give them to Elena. And he went so far as to steal x-ray and other equipment from the hospital to use in home treatments. Well, you're going to irradiate the tuberculosis out of her lungs with x-rays? Yeah. (laughs) Ah. Buddy. Buddy. He also showered Elena with gifts of jewelry and clothing and whatnot and professed his love for her. Probably right from the start. So he he was playing his hand. You know, he wasn't being as subtle about this. But there is no evidence that she reciprocated any of that love. Okay. But it didn't matter to Carl. He kept doing all this bullshit. Maria still died from tuberculosis. None of that worked. And so she died on October 25th, 1931. So see, Carl had known her for a little more, like a year and three months or so. And he was very well known to her family at this point. And so his offer to pay Elena's funeral was accepted. He also purchased a mausoleum in Key West Cemetery, for which Carl had the only key. Uh, he would visit the mausoleum every night and serenade Elena with her favorite Spanish songs. And he would also claim that Elena's spirit would visit him and beg him to remove her body from the mausoleum. Sure. No, don't listen to those. (laughs) Uh, In 1933, Carl was fired from the U.S. Marine Hospital in Key West. Rightly so. Maybe because he wasn't a rad tech. Or for stealing. I don't know. Stealing all the shit. Uh, And shortly after that, his nightly visits to Elena's mausoleum ceased as well. So this firing apparently triggered something in Carl. And he finally listened to Elena's spirit and removed her body from the mausoleum. And brought it home in a toy wagon. No, 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 no. 
pulling your wagon down the street. Luckily for Carl, he'd already constructed a makeshift laboratory in an old airplane. And I read that sentence and I said, what the fuck? But there's a picture of it I'll put on the website. But okay, still weird to just have an old airplane that you make into a lab. Is it because it needed to have been like airtight to be able to contain the no, stuff? No, it definitely wasn't airtight. I don't know. Probably nicer than Briggs. Anywho. <laughs> The building that I work, I mean, Sarah work in. Yeah. So in his lab, he worked on preserving Elena's body, which had to be a bit of a task because she had already been in that mausoleum for two years. Yeah. Carl stuffed the corpse's torso with rags in order to maintain its original shape and used piano wire and coat hangers to stabilize her skeleton. Oh, Tried to rebuild her face using plaster of Paris and wax. And then added some glass eyes. Oh, Jesus. At the time oh of Elena's God. death, Elena's mother had gifted Elena's hair to Carl for some reason. So Carl used that hair to make a wig for the corpse. So it was her own? That was her actual hair. Oh. Yeah. Okay. He also tried to stall further decomposition using disinfectants and various preserving agents and tried to keep the smell at bay with copious amounts of perfume and flowers. I don't think it worked. You can't really cover cadaverine with that. It just becomes death and perfume. No, I know. Well, he dressed the corpse in women's clothing and from that point on, Carl and the corpse would fall asleep together every night for the next seven years. Seven? Romance! I just threw up a little in my mouth. Oh, no. I'm not no, even no. to the worst part. I didn't know it was seven years. It's so long. I didn't know that either. Well, he still was a weirdo, and so he continued to buy women's clothing and perfume, even though no one ever saw him with a living woman during that time. Young boy had also claimed to have seen Carl dancing in his living room in what the young boy thought was a giant doll. Ew. Elena's family had remained borderline suspicious of Carl over these last seven years, especially after he very abruptly stopped visiting the mausoleum after he'd done so daily for two years, like, yeah, and then never went back ever again. Didn't need to. Elena's <laughs> sister finally went to confront him and found what she thought was an effigy of her sister and went to the police. Police confiscated this doll, but very quickly realized that it was Elena's rotting corpse. Oh, no. worse! Like, What's that smell? Still, the cherry on top of this Sunday of terribleness. During an autopsy done on Elena's remains, the coroner found a paper tube that had been inserted inside of her vagina. <gasps> No! Paper? was never confirmed whether Carl was actually a necrophile, but it is certain that Elena never signed up for any of this shit. Oh my god. Yeah. No. No. Fuck you, Carl. Carl. I know. (sighs) Carl. So he makes Oscar seem like a prince in comparison. Yeah, no kidding. Carl was arrested and charged with wantonly and maliciously destroying a grave and removing a body without authorization. Mm-hmm. While on the stand, Carl told the court about his in-game, which was to launch Elena's corpse up into the stratosphere where the radiation would reanimate her body. Okay, Carl. Carl. What's she going to do with all those rags inside of her, though? Yeah, you took all her, all her organs. <laughs> and she's got piano wire and shit now. She'll be a real doll. <laughs> Yeah. Oh. Well, Carl was cleared of all charges as the statute of limitations had expired. Fuck. But obviously the trial was a huge media sensation. Mm-hmm. Pricing the majority of the public saw Carl as an eccentric romantic. No. Uh-huh. And they didn't really think about Elena's side very much at all, which was especially apparent when the state of Florida put Elena's body on public display during the trial. 
before she was no. finally reinterred. Are you freaking kidding me? I am not. I am so not. Abuse of a corpse much? So much. Yeah, how are they going to try him with that when they're doing it too? Charge Florida with that. Oh, Florida. So is this the original Florida man or? <laughs> this could no, be. No, shit. Jesus. It's a lot. Oh, and it's Florida too. It's hot and humid. Oh, that just makes oh, everything no. like so worse. Like sticky, weepy decay. I didn't think about that until just now. It's so gross. Mm-mm. Well, after the trial, Carl left Key West, moved back to the town where his family was still living. And his original wife would end up taking care of Carl when he aged, which is bullshit. He didn't seem to be very ashamed of any of his actions, as he wrote his autobiography, which was published in Fantastic Adventures, Pulp Fantasy and Sci-Fi magazine in 1947. This man thought he was a genius. (laughs) Oh, yeah. He was going to reanimate a corpse. He thought he had it all figured out. In his airplane laboratory. Yeah, not a functional airplane, but... (laughs) One step at a time, right? <laughs> yes. First get the body, then get the airplane. Was it going to take the airplane into outer space to reanimate her? You know, it, didn't, it wasn't clear about how the body was going to get to the space, but... Okay. Carl appeared to subsist almost entirely on sardines. Ew. Yeah, that'll drive me crazy. You're a salty fuck. Yeah, salty bastard. And never got over his love of Elena. I'm going to say love in quotation marks. Yeah, big quotation marks. Carl was found on July 3rd, 1952, about three weeks after his death. And the obituary obituary recounted that overlooking his corpse was, quote, a waxen image wrapped in silken cloth and a robe, end quote. Uh, So after losing access to Elena's body, even though he was ballsy enough to ask her family for her body back after his acquittal. Oh, seriously? They said no. He went for the next best thing, which was a a life-size wax figurine and a death mask that would keep him company for the rest of his life. Well, his first wife nursed him. Oh, hell no. Hell no. Oh, Lord. So that's story two. Another woman needs some self-esteem and like friends to be like, he's bad for you. This man's (laughs) insane. Yeah. (laughs) How do you cannot tell this man? It's insane. Um, (laughs) You owe him nothing, first wife. He abandoned you. Yeah. For at least 10 years. Anyway, those are my stories from the olden days. Luckily for everyone, you don't need to hand make yourself a life-size doll anymore because you can buy one. No, thank you. I spent some time on realdoll.com. No, no, no. Oh, no. Whose slogan is, quote, get real. Nothing beats the real thing, end quote. Which I think is actually kind of funny. Like, tug-in-cheek. I appreciate it. they're not real. (laughs) Yeah, but they're called real doll. You know, get real, but not. It's a whole thing. But now you're getting ads for this. Well, I just I just finished the script right before we recorded, so the ads will come in the future. <laughs> All right. It is a pretty uh, not safe for work website, so I, I don't know if I'll post a link on our website. I was scrolling Maybe through a couple models. Oh, I was scrolling okay. through a couple models. It's a lot of boobs, first of all. Okay. Yeah, of course. And then I, but I was scrolling through the pictures and then I wondered to myself if they would show the vagina on the doll. And they do. Oh, no. Yeah. Ah, so if you have $6,500 plus lying around (laughs) and are tired of dating, you have options. You could even swap the faces. Ew. And if you keep it clean, it won't smell as bad as the real thing. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) 
This technology has gotten pretty impressive, to be honest. They still look like dolls. Yeah. I don't like it. But they have the real doll X model now, which includes a head that the eyes can blink. It can move the head. It can form, like, you know, basic expressions. And if you get the app that goes with it, you can create a unique personality for your doll, modulate her vocal tones, and give her things to say. So this is like a Furby. Yes, but this next sentence is not going to make you want a Furby. Because (laughs) I also watched a disembodied vagina get fingered. So I can let you know that you can buy an electronic insert, which connects to Bluetooth and can detect touch, movement, and transitions from mild arousal to orgasm. Um, Oh no. That's gross. Wait, so you can make your doll pretend to orgasm? Yes, you can. It does seem like realdoll.com only makes dolls with a feminine body, but if you like dicks, they do offer the Real Cock 2, which is a series of extremely expensive but realistic dildos. Okay. So you can't see my face right now? I'm so sad, listeners. I'm sad for these people. I'm creeped out by the designers for this. Sarah's video webcam's not working while we're recording this time, and this is a major bummer because I would have loved to see the facial expressions while I was telling this. Mm-hmm. We as the host really missed out on something special. Yeah. It's like Sarah.exe stopped working. Well, <laughs> I better go right get, now. um, what's the app? <laughs> X mode and get you to say some new things. <laughs> oh, Lord. So I also looked into a couple modern examples of men with life-size dolls in their life, and they are quite interesting. The first guy goes by Dave Cat and is an advocate for synthetic love and lives with his wife and mistress, both dolls. The Atlantic ran an article on him, and it, it's a fascinating subculture. So, That's very dramatic. For instance... Idolaters refer to people who see their dolls as life partners and not just sex toys. So Dave Cat considers himself an idolater, which is a play on words on like idol, I think. Mm-hmm. Dave Cat seems like a pretty chill dude, to be honest, who just had some bad experiences with quote organic women. As he says, <laughs> quote, a synthetic will never lie to you, cheat on you, criticize you, or be otherwise disagreeable. It's rare enough to find organics who don't have something going on with them. And being able to make a partner of one is rarer still. Okay, Dave. When you have an attitude like that, yeah. I do appreciate that he bought his mistress doll for the same reason that I adopted a second cat. Wait, the mistress keeps the wife company? Yeah, I got Morris because I didn't want Wobbles to be lonely when I wasn't around. And he got this mistress doll for his OG wife. He didn't want her to be lonely when he wasn't around. She's bisexual. Oh, okay. So it's not really a mistress. It's kind of like a love triangle. It is more like a love triangle, but he- It's um, a thruple. It's a thruple, but he's only going to remain married to one doll. Okay. This is is silly. I I also want to say that you can put Furbies next to each other and they'll interact and you can like leave the room and they'll just interact with each other. Yeah, I did this with my friend. Like when I was little, we had we both had Furbies, and we just like would have them hang out, and like they would pick up different cues from each other, and mine learned like new sayings or dance moves that oh her Furby God. knew, and like oh he said something new, I never said that before, like <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> to add to the Furbiness of this episode, <laughs> I also had a Furby, but mine got weird and started doing weird stuff, so it got hooked <laughs> out of the car. <gasps> Fair enough. I never had a Furby. Furby litter. <laughs> and I'm fine with that. I mean, like, yeah, they seem kind of possessed. Yeah. It yeah, was like you got the it. devil. When they reanimate in, like, the dead of night and start laughing while they're in your closet, that's not okay. 
back to Dave Cat a little bit. I kind of do understand his reasoning a little bit when he says, when people are in failed organic relationships, they're invariably urged to dust themselves off and try again. But what most people don't realize is that not everyone is suited for the try, try again mindset. And with each defeat, they're less inclined to make another attempt, which leads to more loneliness, which makes them even more depressed, etc. And I can say I can kind of understand that. I've been in that before. Like, yeah, but maybe he should have just tried some counseling or some therapy. Yeah, I mean, I went to therapy. I also, like, I understand that, like, struggling relationships, when they end, they could be extremely traumatic and whatnot. Sure. I don't understand how a doll provides this companionship in a way that makes up for, like, makes them feel less lonely. Like, I still don't see how that works at all. Like, that is definitely, like, social dead-end, rock-bottom yeah, best that he can get because he can't have like normal friend or real, like romantic interactions he does with people. Friends. Are they concerned? No, they're supportive. Okay. And overall, it seems relatively harmless. So yeah, I mean, you definitely you. better to have a doll than to force something on an actual human being. But that's. But like you were saying before, it totally sounds like a cop out mm-hmm. and just an opportunity to stop growing completely. Yeah. Yeah. And so Dave Cat definitely comes off as a nice guy in some portions of this interview. So for instance. He said, quote, There was the last I bought a house with back in 2003. I was attempting to help her out of a bad relationship. She wasn't the least bit romantically interested in me, but I thought that if I helped her and she and I lived under the same roof, eventually she'd view me more favorably, which is not how it works. No, it's not. My man, no, 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 real bad. Uh, He also said, Dolls and androids are like organic humans but they lack the qualities that make organics difficult to deal with. The way I see things, your spouse should be easygoing and a joy to come home to in order to counteract having to deal with all manner of undesirables when you're out and about, end quote. Which is not something you're going to find with an organic person. And it would be super super problematic to ask that. Everyone's got some baggage, right? Everyone's got stuff going on in their lives, but you can have a successful partnership with someone. No partnership is completely 100% like candy and rainbows. In a million years. And like, you're just taking away, like you're trying, you want to take away the ability of the partner to like, have, have any autonomy. emotions like have any yeah. autonomy yeah like, or you, life you experience can't even have a bad day like yeah you have to be like on when your spouse gets home for them that's that's not okay that, no. we're past that era we're yeah. so um, past that era so a doll does seem like the perfect substitute in this case i would say too at least in this way he's not like having children and then sure. raising children with the inability to cope with other people because if he's not able to recognize like humans have feelings the end like that's yeah that's something that he might pass on to how he raises his children and like trauma that they would go through and at least that's not happening which is also ridiculous too because he very obviously has feelings in this this interview and so you need to extrapolate that out to everybody else which he has i guess and thinks that it's not worth it to yeah. deal with the messiness of an organic, which I just can't stop calling <laughs> organics. organics. I love it Are you organic? so much. I really like organic vegetables. <laughs> I bet Dave Cat does too. So one more. And oh, yes. Dave Cat is pretty tame in comparison to this next fellow, Yuri 
Tolochtko, who's a Kazakhstan bodybuilder who went viral in 2020 for marrying the sex doll that he had been dating for eight months. Dave Katz kind of like the OG and he seems to be like generally into this lifestyle, but it's a lot hard to tell with Yuri and like whether he's just an attention whore and this is a publicity stunt or whatever. He's committed to it. Now it's been probably three years since he started this relationship with the sex doll, but Yuri's a lot more in your face about it than Dave Cat. Okay. Dave Cat does not take his dolls out of the house, whereas Yuri takes Margot, his wife slash doll, on the girl romantic dates, including couples massages, which there's a picture. I feel so sorry for that masseuse. I know. All I can think about is what is that masseuse doing that has the doll? Yeah. Like, this dude's fucking crazy. But he's gonna pay me full because he thinks she's a person. It's probably like a good hour off, like, break for yeah. their wrists and stuff. Yeah, you so don't have to like, work very hard. I'm massaging, but really they're just like pretending. Just kind to of miming it. Yeah. The efforts. It's, yeah. <laughs> that one I was just like, I don't understand what's happening here. Um, they also travel to foreign countries together. So imagine sitting next to uh, Margot on a plane. No thanks. And somehow they dance in clubs, but I don't, I don't, I don't know the mechanics of that. Okay. Like just, she's standing on his feet. <laughs> yeah, so like, she's like belted to him or something. I don't know. Yeah. Oh my god. Oons, oons, oons. That, that would clear the dance floor for me, I think. We gotta find a new club, y'all. Yeah. I'll never be drunk enough to watch a man seriously dance with a real doll. That's too much. Yeah. At one point, Marco had her own Instagram where she posted mostly uh, sexy shots and like BDSM stuff. Uh, But according to Yuri... Margot developed a complex after receiving public attention and had plastic surgery to cope. <laughs> Yuri has also banned Margot from Instagram now as he uh, was starting to get jealous of her popularity. And luckily for Yuri, Yuri Margot is fine with this. Uh, oh, and of I'd course. Say, yeah, she's well, not going to talk back. Yeah. Well, Dave Katz probably more like 70% relationship. 30% sex with his dolls. I'd say Yuri's probably 100% sex. And to be honest, I am kind of glad a woman or a man, because he has got done both. I'm glad a, a real living person doesn't actually have to deal with him because at yeah. least Margot can be sent off to be repaired after being damaged for rough sex. Oh. As Yuri likes is to be in total control and likes to be extremely rough and violent in bed. Yeah, I was gonna say this guy's got more control oh, yeah. because of the he's banned her from Instagram. Like, no, that's not Yeah. <laughs> I know it's like, definitely not anything that is real. He's got issues. Organics would not allow that. Yeah, so Margot had to be sent off shortly after their wedding because she needed repairs. Oh gross. What to learn here is that you probably shouldn't leave Yuri on his own for very long because well Margot was off being repaired, Yuri realized that he was attracted to chickens as well and fucked a dead chicken. No. Oh, okay. A dead chicken. A dead chicken. At least the chicken was dead. He was very adamant that he would not fuck a live chicken. (sighs) But this does feed into this next one. Margot is home now, uh, but Yuri is going to buy a second doll to join the family. And this one is going to be shaped like a giant chicken. No! And will come with a vagina and a cock. So there's probably a second wedding in Yuri's future, is what I'm trying to say. Yuri and the giant chicken. It's like James and the giant peach. I know! No, not anything like that. Yuri's I mean, gonna have to get name. that special special made because the real dolls. I was on the website. I don't think they do that. No, they're women bodies, curvy body. They don't. They don't have a like. They don't have a fat one. They don't have a mold for a chicken body. No. Who wants to? 
Will I have feathers? I have a lot of questions. I was good. Yeah, I was gonna no. say, will I have feathers? Because that brings it around full circle again from uh, yeah, right. Oh, yeah, <laughs> from feather swan yeah. feathers in the beginning. Feather Alma. No. A feather Alma. Yes. No. 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 So. That's what I have. Just like a smidge of astrology to tie this up. A little palate cleanser for you guys. So I only looked up Oscar Kakowska and Carl Tanzler. So the guys from our first two stories. Mm-hmm. Oscar is a Pisces and Carl is an Aquarius. Okay. How do you feel about that? Sarah, especially. I'm, a- I'm upset. <laughs> I will say the the deep feels... Like, if, right. if they're left unchecked, sure. I can see that Aquarius too. Aquarius to me is always just like a little bit, like right on the edge of fun, but unhinged. Yeah. Yeah, which I think <laughs> is interesting that Carl, the Aquarius, is the one that actually went all the way in. Yeah. Oscar was more lovesick. Pisces, and like Pisces have a tendency too to like have a like a vivid imagination. imagination. Yeah, and so yeah. like he could imagine his life with Alma and whatever, and it didn't happen. So he was, you know, emotionally Devastated. stunted way to like try to. Yeah. I guess it could be really cathartic to like burn an effigy of your ex, but he also spent a lot of money on the swan doll. Yeah. So. There's got to be some Taurus in there somewhere. yeah that would probably be right but Taurus Mars and it's a painter too and Pisces can be very artistic oh yeah for sure he definitely was painting his feelings out yeah and Carl I love Aquarii so Aquarii (laughs) listening don't take this the wrong way but they can be weird as fuck that's what I'm saying yeah you're like bordering on the weird like slightly unhinged (laughs) Carl is definitely not being the best Aquarius he could be. He was a weird dude. He already was a pathological liar. And then uh, they can also be really intense with their feelings as well. They don't like to show it as much as a Pisces. But I can see an Aquarius, maybe a Scorpio as well, being the one to like take that last step into the abyss. Sure. Yeah. So this kind of makes sense to me. Sorry, Pisces and Aquarius. I threw Scorpio in there. I was Scorpio Venus. So I just said that I might pull a body out of a grave. So you've also said in the past that you would donate your body to a necrophile. I would. But or that... sell your body to a necrophile. Uh, <laughs> I might just donate it because what would I do with the money? Well, you could say you have to buy my body and then donate the money to a good cause. Yeah. Charity. Yeah. But that would be with my consent because I don't think yes. I don't think a body, I don't think a dead body is anything. Would there be terms? Would there be like, okay, like you can't keep me more than a year. <laughs> Well, it kind of runs into trouble, too, because I'm like, how do you find the person first? I don't want them to get antsy and try to kill me. Yeah. Right. You know, I'm just saying it's a bag of meat when I'm dead. And so someone could Elena me and I wouldn't care. But Elena didn't get to choose. Yeah. And that is the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of. One of many problems, but. One of lots of problems. Yes. So I'll probably give my body to science if science still wants my body. (laughs) (laughs) It seems easier. But I refuse to be embalmed, so I'd be very natural. Organic. Mm. Organic, yes. The opposite of (laughs) synthetic love. (laughs) Literally turning into dust. Yeah, so that's that. Happy spooky season, everybody. Thanks. (laughs) You're welcome. I can continue our silly Pisces talk with the astrology corner here. Okay. All right. So on the date that this episode airs on September 20th, this evening, the full moon is in Pisces. And this is also known as the harvest moon. And it you can match those cozy Pisces feelings with a lot of fall vibes. So Pisces, we're dreamers. We literally sleep a ton. 
<laughs> whether we're dream whether we're sleeping or not, we're dreamers. So you can be prepared during this time for a wild imagination. You can harness this energy and put it towards some creativity in some form, whether it be visual, musical, whatever speaks to you, but create something that you love. Pisces are also very empathic, intuitive, are known for big intense feelings like we've talked about. Intense. Not not as intense as Scorpio, I would say, but like intense in a different way. Like there's deep longing for something. If you're feeling so that you, intense, dial it back, maybe, maybe try to go to yeah. therapy. Do some journaling, figure it out. Yeah, therapy's yeah. good. So if you're already a sensitive person, it's good to be aware of this and channel it towards maybe that creative outlet. And that can help you from kind of becoming that relentlessly needy person and becoming what I like to call a personal space invader. Um, (laughs) so but then if you're on the more earthy or pragmatic side though you might want to lean into those pisces energies because a good cry is also very healing i still haven't been able to cry oh and i have well definitely felt like it maybe on the 20th on the 20th i'll just go sit in my backyard under the moon yeah all my neighbors will look down into my yard and be like what the fuck is she doing (laughs) this crazy woman The one that doesn't actually landscape. Now she's in the back of her weed-infested backyard just sitting there like an idiot. Sobbing. <laughs> yeah, just Under like... the full moon. Finally <laughs> sobbing. Like, the moon! <laughs> so this is the harvest moon. It's a good time for harvesting those productivity seeds you've planted earlier in the year. And an added bonus, if you've got any crystals, again with the witchy bullshit, if you've got crystals, full moons are a great time to purify them because full moons are really good at cleansing and reorienting energies toward your intended purpose. So to do this, you can place them in like an um, unobstructed moonlight overnight, like on your windowsill, or if you have space in your backyard and you know it's safe, like no one's going to steal your stuff, then that's a good spot too. But yeah. Cool. Also on the 20th, Mercury in Libra will be trying with Jupiter in Aquarius. Trines. And this is going to be a good day for making plans, traveling, or learning something new. Oh, good. Because I'll be coming back from my weekend vacation on the 20th. Sweet. Nice. And then, you know, with the harvest moon, we won't consider you a personal space invader if you reach out to us. You can connect <laughs> with space. us on Twitter at True Trine, on Instagram at True Crime Trine, on Facebook at TCT Podcast. You can email us directly at truecrimetrine at gmail.com and check out our website at www.truecrimetrine.com. All right, so I uh, found us another astrology quote to end on. It's kind of hard because there's a lot of astrology quotes, but I don't know who most of these people are. So I'm just picking the ones I've heard of. So Bram Stoker, the author of Dracula, said, quote, The stars are a long way off and their words get somewhat dulled in the message. End quote. So astrology is hard. Yeah. Yes. Yes. A boo. Yes. Kaboom. <laughs> A yes. A. Music for our podcast was handcrafted by the talented and creative minds of Mike Warren and Pete Ortega. Our artwork was imagined and skillfully designed by the lovely Sarah Guest. As for production, well, they call me post-production. Show notes are available upon request. Just email truecrimetrine at gmail.com. Join us again next week for another tantalizing episode.